This is BJJ Hood, tapping into Jiu-Jitsu lives on and off the mats. Hello, hello. We are back with the BJJ Hood podcast. I'm Bevy, your host. I'm Shay, your co-host. Now in January, we are talking to different professionals and jiu-jitsu about things you can do outside of the mats to improve your jiu-jitsu. It's the beginning of the year. We know new year, new you. So let's see what else like you're not doing that you can. Um, we have amazing guests coming in this month. So make sure you're watching all the episodes. On YouTube, we have subtitles in Portuguese for all the episodes in English and subtitles in English for all the episodes in Portuguese. Just make sure you're following us there and on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of the new episodes. Our new episodes come out every Thursday, every week. Follow us on Instagram. That's where you're going to know our next guest for the week and get some information, some snippets of the interviews there. Um, that way you also don't miss anything that we're bringing. And of course, share the episodes with your friends, your support. It's really, really important for us to keep doing this work here. Today, we're talking to Maddie Boss. She's based in Texas, and she is a holistic performance coach for athletes. She's the owner of Body by Boss, whose mission it is to create empowered athletes through teaching a preventative, holistic approach to optimizing performance and wellness that encompass mind, body, and spirit. We're going to start today asking you, Natty, welcome to the BJJ Hood podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about your story, how you got into jiu-jitsu. Yeah, thank you for having me. Welcome. Good to be here with everybody. Um, yeah. So yeah, what got me into jiu-jitsu? So basically, long story short, I've been an athlete my whole life. I've done martial arts my whole life. I have a black belt in taekwondo. And I basically wanted to expand my arsenal, start something new. I was actually originally interested in capoeira. <laughs> and at the time in Philadelphia, where I was originally from, I lived in Texas for, or I live in Texas for the past like two and a half years now. Um, but my whole life, I grew up um, in Philadelphia on the East Coast. And there was a gym nearby that hosted capoeira and there wasn't many. So I basically reached out to them. And in my background in Taekwondo, with my interest and background in dance, background in dance being like not professional by any means, but just like I always liked dance. I did dance, integrated it like throughout my childhood, and I just always connected with dance and movement in that way. And so Capoeira to me was like a beautiful combination of Taekwondo and dance. So I was like, I want to get into this as just like another expression. Um, so I called and as soon as I called, they basically said our capoeira school shut down, but you could try oh, jujitsu. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, um, all right, let's give it a shot. I don't know what it is, but I'll sign up and, or rather try my first class. Mm -hmm. I've always been a competitive nature, always been more of an aggressive person. Um, so combat sports came naturally to me. And when I did my first class, I remember Going in, first of all, I was 18, knew nothing about anything, um, even myself. <laughs> and I just remember going in with an ego of just like, I'm, I was a very high level uh, Taekwondo competitor, nationally uh, qualified. You know, I was in, I had potential for the Olympics, but because I was so young, my parents didn't really support it or believe in like that idea. They believed in like traditional schooling. And because I would have to like leave school, they weren't really behind it. So I couldn't really follow that dream. 
Um, but I competed all the time. So I was like a high level competitor in martial arts and an athlete. So when I went to the first class, I was like, I got this in the bag and I just was getting triangled and submitted every second. And my type of personality is not one to run away from that. I basically was like, sign me up. I'm going to master this bitch. This is never going to happen again. (laughs) (laughs) So I discovered jujitsu the beginning of the summer before I was about to enter college. So I doubled down and did two a day classes basically all of summer. And they did like a special for me for three months because I didn't want to commit. I mean, I couldn't commit because I was traveling for my school. So I just did that and stayed committed to the same academy And just every, you know, season of the Christmas break, the summer break, I would go back uh, because I didn't get a car living in the city my whole life. I didn't really get my license until like I was 20, 21, like almost leaving college. So I didn't really have the means to drive at that time. And basically that's what got me started in jujitsu. Like I just loved it. It was just, it was nice to be a beginner again. Um, There was a lot of mental obstacles because I had to fight my ego a lot to like allow myself to be a beginner because I just had so much experience going into it, but I just really loved the growth that came along with it and the challenges. And I competed three months into jujitsu and have been competing ever since. Um, So it's just been like such a beautiful journey and it opened me up to my business that I have today, as well as my husband and my kids. So like literally I owe my entire life to the mistake of finding <laughs> jujitsu. <laughs> That's awesome. I love when I hear people um now that I've that I've been in jujitsu for a while, when I hear people like like you said, came in with an ego of like, I'm really tough. I'm really good at this. Like I'm I'm gonna crush everybody in here because you had that background and then you get there and you're just like crushed. You're like, what just happened to me? <laughs> like I see a lot of like big guys, strong guys when they yeah. get to the gym and they're like, yeah, I'm going to crush everybody because I'm really strong. Like you can see on their, they don't say that, but you can see on the way they move. Yeah. And then they get like killed annihilated. in class. <laughs> annihilated. I didn't know if I would know how to say that word, but <laughs> <laughs> that's why I didn't say it. But it's like, it's so funny for, and then they're like, oh my God, like I didn't expect I was humbled today. So I love how yeah. Jiu-Jitsu can do that to a person. Yeah. Um, For me being five foot two, I present myself and, or I should say when I was younger, I way mellowed out, but like as five foot two at the time I started at 118 uh, pounds. Oh my God. I, you would think my ego was like a six foot five, 220 pounds. <laughs> like I came in like, I didn't even care how small I was. I was just like, there's just no way anybody's smashing me. <laughs> yeah. Most I mean, I people, love that mindset too. Ego, but like most people, and I see it a lot too, having owned an academy as well. Just like, it's usually those bigger guys that have that experience or like lift or do wrestling. But like, I was just like this out of the blue, blonde hair, five foot two chick. And I'm just like... <laughs> No, not today. And I was like, oh, <laughs> crap. <laughs> I have a question because I came from the same like uh, 90s karate background, uh, definitely not competing at the the rate that you were whatsoever. Um, but for those parents that still like put their kids in karate, like w- what, um, what do you, what do you think about the parents that do karate versus doing a sport like jujitsu? Like for me, like when anybody asks me, I'm like, for sure, just, just do jujitsu. Like karate taught me a lot, like growing up. Um, 
but in the sense of like self-defense, um, I think jujitsu is like way better for your kids, you know, in the long run. Um, so that's my advice. Like, what is your thoughts on it? And, and being a mom too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have such a place in my heart for Taekwondo because it's the origin of my life. However, mm-hmm. having been in jujitsu for over a decade, that's usually my first inclination is like jujitsu is just the most realistic. It also helps you again. It helps people develop the body awareness like kids. It helps them develop just the discipline. It helps them understand failure and bouncing back from that building resilience. It helps them connect and socialize. And it's the most realistic form of self-defense in my opinion, having dabbled in other martial arts as well, just not like ranking in them. Um, I've done Muay Thai and things like that. But for me, this is the most practical when it comes to self-defense and, you know, with bullies and kids and stuff, I think this is the most practical. The benefits I always tell people about Taekwondo are what it gave me was just discipline and there's a lot of structure. Like Mm -hmm. there's, it's also very much, you can master specific things through repetition because you're not necessarily going up against somebody else. The difference with jujitsu is that like you need another body to kind of work through techniques and improve. Whereas Taekwondo, I can just sit there and kick the wall, you know, kick the air 10,000 times to get better at my kick. Like I'm not interacting necessarily with other people, but the benefit is that again, it still teaches kids body awareness and the discipline and the structure. And that's really, which is really interesting as a kid, that was something that I was actually craving because my house was just chaotic and I didn't have structure growing up. Like it was just Mm. literally free for all and just like, enmeshment and lack of boundaries and just no structure. So when I first took my class, I loved that they made a standard attention. I loved that like there was just like this, you know, do this block, then this punch and like that systematic format. I was like, that was very helpful and healthy um, for me and my growth and my development to balance Mm. out what I wasn't experiencing at home. But if I was to look back, jujitsu can give you a lot of that same thing. And it's just way more practical. And that's one of the biggest takeaways I learned when I started jujitsu, even at 18, was the fact that I was a very high level athlete in a martial art that's quote unquote for self-defense. And I could not defend myself on the ground. And that was like the biggest eye opening thing for me. I was like, most fights end up on the ground. And jujitsu and grappling is the most realistic type of fight like there's nobody's going to be squaring up like in the bruce lee movies where taekwondo (laughs) comes to play you know and you see all these kicks and punches and roundhouse kicks and back hooks spin kicks people are going to grapple and they're going to you know do all those things so for me it was very eye-opening to be like wow like for somebody who really felt confident in themselves in holding their own walking down the street I'm glad I got this reality check because the reality is I knew nothing if it came to close quarters combat Yeah. So the sooner you can get into it, I would say the better. And so for that answer, I would say jujitsu to start, but sometimes it can be a little too aggressive for kids. So if that's the case, then maybe starting with Taekwondo because it's a little, it still serves the same purpose in a lot of different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just less aggressive for maybe your kid who isn't as aggressive and they need to develop that confidence first and that body awareness before they can maybe get integrated with a more aggressive type of combat sport. And then maybe they can transition, but I would definitely recommend the transition at some point or another. Yeah. You're, you're talking about the discipline part of Taekwondo. Um, 
I don't know if it's some something like right now. It could be different in each school. But sometimes I think in jujitsu, um, especially for adults, there's a lot of the discipline that it's kind of being left behind. You know, be, like if you look at judo, for example, where people are like Christine Gies, really like on their place, they respect their professor really well. Like there's no fooling around in class. You know, people are really, really respectful. And uh, sometimes I feel that in jujitsu, we lost a little bit about it. I mean, again, yeah. it could be different in each school, but it's still, do you see a big difference on the discipline that you had on the mats doing Taekwondo and like after doing jujitsu? 100%. Um, I would say Taekwondo and I do judo as well brown belt and judo but i would say that taekwondo was very much again that discipline that element of respect that traditionalism i think that is really the biggest difference with jujitsu i notice uh having attended different schools having owned a school having like visited other schools there's definitely not a standardization um of that structure and i think that would really serve adults as well as kids i think sometimes in my experience, there's too much creative expression. Like jujitsu itself can be a creative outlet, but I do believe that there needs to be like a standard warm-up. No matter what your gym, like gym can have different warm-ups, you know, wherever you're at, but a standardized warm-up I think is really important. You know, basically I've been to classes where like depending on who's the instructor, it's just different. There's no standardization to the academy itself. And mm. it's just like whoever's teaching, it's like runs a different, completely different style class. And I think that's actually not beneficial. I think that it's mm. not cohesive. I think that there should be just a standardization of warm up and just like a protocol. Like if you're going to do, you know, drills for this amount of time, if you're going to do whether, you know, the drills within them can change, but the drills and then like the teaching material and then the rolling, I think that needs to be like standardized. And there needs to also be, and this is my personal opinion that will probably get a lot of backlash because I know people love getting all the crazy geese, but I'm such a traditionalist because of my background. And because I really like, just look at jujitsu and just martial arts to me it's just a religion like to me it's like a way of being it's a way of life so for me it's like I have no problem following quote-unquote rules of like okay white and blue geese only and then black geese your competition mm -hmm. like for me I think that again adds that element of like structure whereas like if everybody it just looks messy to me honestly when I see people with all different kind of geese colors all throughout mm -hmm. the class I understand people just want to like express themselves but to me as like an outsider looking in as far as having had an academy as well it just doesn't look like you would go to a judo class right and it's just mm -hmm. like that uniformity and I think there's a beauty in that like in that uniformity and I don't think it needs to take away from people's creative expression because jujitsu the art itself is the vehicle for the creative expression it doesn't matter what yeah. you wear so I think mm -hmm. just having that outside kind of collective cohesiveness it just looks better in my opinion. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, me too. I We are from Gracie Baja and Gracie Baja gets a lot of sh like shade because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because of how they deal with the uniform. But after you were in there for a while, you kind of understand that because that's exactly it. Like when I started jujitsu, I started in Brazil and I would see either in my school or in different schools, people wearing, for example, a white top and a blue pants. Just oh because God. they didn't have, like, yeah. maybe the money to buy a new gi, you know, 
like there is a reason but a lot of the times people do that just because and it's so ugly it's like it doesn't look good like when you're lined up it's so much like pretty and and good for you to see everybody lined up with the same uniform everybody wearing like a rash guard underneath like we don't want to be there we're already sweating on top of each other like you don't want to be there having a man's chest on your face all sweaty like yeah the rash guard <laughs> thing it's really good too i think it, it 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 also gives us that feeling of we're all equal it's not yeah. like exactly. you have yeah. more money so you're able to buy a gi that it's more expensive or i don't know what we're all going to be wearing the same thing doesn't matter what you know yeah so i i really like that feeling of it's like a school. Like in Brazil, we have a uniform. Yeah. At the school, you have to wear the same shirt. It's like in jiu-jitsu. It's a school. You have to wear the same uniform. It's like military. Everybody's wearing the same thing. It doesn't change. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Um, you, you were talking about, I wanted to ask you this question before we move into something different, just because um, you were talking about at 18, being able to even go to Olympics and not doing that because um, your parents didn't believe in that route for you or... I mean, for anybody, maybe. Um, how did that feel for you, having the chance of following that dream in the sport and not being able to? And how how do you deal with that um, today? Yeah. Um, so it was before I was 18 because I needed parental permission. If I was 18, I could just sign off and go and do my own thing. Um, so I was younger. I might have been like 15 or 16 or something like that. And... Basically, it was really frustrating to not feel like I had a choice in my life and to have that sense of like autonomy, you know, like I believed in myself, my coaches believed in me. It was a possibility. It was really frustrating to just work against that old school mentality that the way you should live your life is go to school, get a job, a steady job that's predictable. And then live that out until you die. And I've never been that person my entire life. Um, I always knew from a very young age that I was going to be my own boss and be an entrepreneur. And like, even if it failed, even if I created 10 different businesses, like there's just no way I could ever work for anyone. I just knew that about myself from a very young age. And so I already knew I wasn't going to follow that path. So it was just really frustrating. And there, it just felt out of my control though, because there really was nothing I can do. So... I think for a little bit after that, I did take a little break from Taekwondo. Like I just felt a little deflated because it was like kind of doing the same thing. Like this was my next step to kind of evolve and like what I needed to get better and just kind of push myself. So I took a little bit of break and then I came back to it. And then I think at that point, because I always wanted to get um, my black belt. So then once I got my black belt, that's why I was like, you know what? I feel complete in my journey with Taekwondo. And I think it's time to, not to mention, it was just a lot of political stuff behind the scenes as far as getting my black belt and having to change lots of Taekwondo schools just because schools are shutting down. Just different things that is with every single martial art with politics. So once I finally got my black belt, I was like, I'm kind of washing my hands of this right now. It'll always be in my heart, but it's time for me to move on to something else. Um, and so jujitsu really was that. And it doesn't really come up for me much anymore as far as that. It just, those big goals that I have, I just apply to jujitsu, you know, just like 
winning worlds and master worlds and pans and just like really trying to apply myself on the big stages here um, is kind of the next step that I can do because there's no Olympics or anything like that. So it's really just like working yeah. towards those bigger goals. That is my plan, especially now at Black Belt with jujitsu. Now I definitely feel more motivated to do that. I always thought it was cool to get, you know, win worlds, win master worlds at the lower belts, but I never really, never really cared too much, mainly because to me, like you're just still a colored belt. Like for me, like black belt is like really where like it matters the most. I mean, I don't want to take away from anybody who's ever won those things because they're amazing achievements. Those were all like more limiting beliefs maybe for me that I carried of just like, mm -hmm. ah, it's a blue belt world. It's like, I'm not going to kill myself over it. Like, it'd be nice to win, but like, it's not, you know, nobody cares at the end of the day. Yeah. Like yes. nobody mm -hmm. cares that you're a blue belt. <laughs> like, so it's more like once I got to black belt, then I was like, okay, now I feel really motivated to like work on these big goals because now it like has some weight behind it. And that like motivates me. Yeah. That would be my question for you. Like this transition to black belt, not just in competitions. Do you think like your mind changed a lot after you got, like you knew already like that your goals would be those as soon as you got to black belt, like, did you feel a big transition or was, was not that big for you? So I'm going to be honest and say that when I got my black belt, I, it wasn't that big of a transition. The, I'll share the biggest switch that just really happened when I got my black belt. But when I was a brown belt, I just knew I was a black belt. Like I was doing it for over a decade and I could just like, now that I am officially a black belt, you just know as you progress through the ranks, like you can just tell, like when you're fighting somebody, right? Like you can tell when you're fighting a blue belt. You can tell mm -hmm. when you're fighting a purple belt. They have a little bit more technique. You can tell when you're fighting a white belt. They're spazzy, right? So like I can tell when I'm fighting certain levels, like where they're at in their development and like if they're the appropriate rank. And I just mm -hmm. knew based off how I was training, how I was competing, I was like, I feel like I'm a black belt. Like I'm ready. I'm fighting, I'm competing like a black belt, my peace of mind, like my mindset, um, the way I'm approaching jujitsu, like it just feels so advanced and just so mature. I think that's the mm -hmm. best word for it. It's like, I felt very mature. And then when I got my black belt, I kind of was like, that makes perfect sense. Like I feel ready. And so as far as accepting my black belt, it was not no imposter syndrome or anything like that. Like I was like, no, this is my time. I've been consistently doing this for over a decade and like, I'm ready. Like, this is me. I'm here and it's just finally come and I'm ready for it. Open it, open arms to receive it. Um, the biggest thing though, that it gave me was just absolute full self-trust. Like the second I got my black belt, it just gave me full permission to basically tell myself that I know what I'm doing with not an ego of like, I can't learn, I can't grow. Like I'm perfect at jujitsu and I'm the best, not that type of idea, but just like, just no doubt. Like just, you know what you're doing or you wouldn't be a black belt. Yes. There are different Love avenues. There are different, like there are different paths. Like there are different games. I do not do every single game, right? Like I don't, integrate certain things into my game. I am not a lasso player or a spider guard player. 
as like my primary game, that could be an area of improvement for sure. But like in what I know in my path, in my journey, I believe in everything that I've learned and I have full confidence in that. And that's what my black belt really gave and symbolized to me. It was like, now this is your kind of invitation to fully trust yourself. And so I just basically was like, okay, I felt like there's no, when you're lower rank, it's just so easy to doubt yourself because there is just so much for you to learn. And you know, there's a lot of holes, you know, you make mistakes and I still make mistakes at black belt, but there's just like this, I don't know. It's just like this certificate and just the symbolism of like, you are, you've mastered this enough to receive this level. So like for what, you know, it's time for you to really own it. That's so awesome because I, I feel like every time I moved up in belts, I had that feeling of like, am I really ready for it? Of kind of like not accepting it a little bit. And at the end of the day, I would be, I would think about it. And that's what I tell people too, is if your professor gave it to you, you deserve it. Like they wouldn't give you a belt that you don't deserve. Um, but there's always that, ooh, now I have to represent this belt. And I love that you had that feeling even before you got it of like, I I'm ready. I own it. It's mine. And that's kind of the mindset that I kind of try to get right now because I'm a brown belt. And of course, the next step would be the black belt. And I'm like, I don't want to get my black belt with the feeling of like, I'm not ready for it. I want to get it feeling like I got it because I deserved it. Like I've been doing jujitsu for almost 10 years. It's going to be 10 years this year. At some point, I will deserve it. Like, what What am I waiting for just because I'm not a world champion? Like, that doesn't mean anything for me. Of course, it's a dream. I want to get there. But what if I don't get it? Wouldn't I ever move from blue belt to purple just because I yeah. wasn't a world champion at all, you know? So it's like, yeah. try to look at the other things that you do and that you have improved and like how much you changed. And that's me talking to myself. Um, (laughs) But that's that's how I'm like kind of trying to work on that because I don't want to have that feeling on my promotion of like, I don't deserve this. I want to have your feeling of like, I own this. It's mine. I deserve, like, I'm ready for it. You know, I love that. And I think that, you know, where I can see that coming through, because I know that that's definitely like my experience is not what most people experience in my conversations with people. There's usually that level of imposter syndrome. But I think that like where I may have experienced imposter syndrome if I got my black belt is like if I got my black belt in five years, you know, there's lots of people yeah. that like just get promoted really quick, yeah. you know, and yeah. in my opinion, if I was to try to put myself in those shoes, I probably would feel imposter syndrome, you know, like, mm. because that's such a short amount of time to really say that you can master something. It doesn't. And like, that's why I think it, there's this fine line sometimes of like just promoting people because of competition because mm-hmm. that's just not all of what jujitsu is like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and just certain people promote people based off competition. And it's like people can compete well and just still have so much maturity, emotional maturity, and just like human being maturity to do that. Like, do they really, I don't want to say deserve their black belt because I never want to take that away from somebody who has achieved that. Mm-hmm. But like, is that really mastery of self? Because to me, it's about mastery of self. And when you master yeah. yourself is when you can master the other things in your life. And that's, I've, I think I've just always looked at, I've never been somebody because I think I've been in martial arts my whole life. I've never been somebody to be kind of fixated on getting stripes. I literally focused on showing up every day. I was like, I'm showing up because I love it. 
And like, I don't care when I get promoted. I never cared. Like if somebody, you know, got promoted before me, um, just because I knew I was in college, like, I just didn't care. I was like, I know, cause I know myself, I'm never going to quit until I get my black belt. So whatever that timeline is going to look like for me, it's what it's going to look like. And for me, it was like over a decade. And I was like, by that time too, I was like, I'm doing myself a disservice and I'm being disrespectful to myself for me showing up almost every day for 12, 13 years. And then when I get my black belt, I'm going to just deny myself that. Like, why would I do that to myself? I know the work that I put in. Like, no, fuck yeah, I deserve this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, that's amazing. Like, and if you think otherwise, I don't care <laughs> because I know, <laughs> like, I know what I put in. I know what this meant to me. Mm-hmm. I know the growth that I've experienced, even if it looks different and it's not on the level of, you know, the world stages, you know, and, and winning, you know, world titles. That doesn't mean that I haven't grown. You know, if I learn mm-hmm. more about myself and I tell people all the time, if I feel that I've gotten 1% better every day and I'm a different human and I'm constantly evolving, to me, that's worth the promotion. You know, and I think, I think those that's... are elements that people kind of don't think about when they're getting promoted or when they get promoted. Like one of the things I always tell people, I'm like, you may feel skeptical about getting your belt right now, right? Like that doubt of like, do I, did I earn this belt? But I really see it as like, see it as an opportunity to step into that belt. Mm-hmm. Like there's room to grow into that belt. You don't have to, and you're not going to master anything and everything when you get to purple or when you get to blue or when you get to brown, but you can use those feelings of insecurity that you have to be like, well, what do I need to do to kind of step in and own this belt? Like what's the next step to really like be more confident in this belt? Yeah. I think that part is like huge. Like the um, mastery of yourself, right? Because when you're going through it, especially with folks, like I've been in it for a really long time off and on and, um, it's not the belts necessarily that make you go through that mental transition, right? Or those mental hurdles. It's time on the mat. And if, like you were saying, if people are getting promoted well before they, or well, or sorry, sooner than they should, um, they don't go through those mental, you know, um, elevations, I guess you can say in your game that you experience because it's huge jumps. Like you go from one day of like, there's no way that I could figure that out or I could do that move or yeah. do that transition within like a role session. And then all of a sudden it just clicks, but that mm-hmm. only happens with time, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there's those people that maybe have put time on the mat and they're there, but they're not really present. Right. So they don't evolve. Um, mm-hmm. So they might be, you know, a, a blue or a purple or a brown or even a black. Right. And you're like, how in the world did you get from like white, to wherever you are right now (laughs) (laughs) and and you're executing the way you are right so um it's different I I think everybody's journey is definitely different um but the mastery itself is I think yeah that's key right there right of like really where you're at in your jujitsu um journey and life in general right yeah I like that mastery of self you should I like want you to ask if that's hashtag is that, that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that like from what I see on your social media, that's kind of what you bring on your on your program, right? On your business. Yeah. It's trying yeah, to that's... like kind of show people how to do that, right? Yeah. The whole so premise me a little more. For me, yeah. 
yeah, the whole premise to me is that this is how I view optimizing. Like I'm obsessed with performance optimization. I'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with optimizing human potential. And the way I view it is not so much as the way people see performance, like very tangible on the surface of like, yes, I do. I'm a dietitian. I do focus on nutrition. I do focus on training and like the balance of cross training and recovery. All of those things matter. But for me, what allows you to unlock your potential is like we just talked about kind of like that mastery of self, the deeper, you know, yourself, and yeah. build that inner resilience and just understand yourself on deeper levels and have that emotional maturity and emotional control and intelligence that has a that inward shifting that happens has the external shift in your life so if you want to perform optimally a lot of times it's not just about eating broccoli it's not just about like adding another hit session it's looking at yourself within it's allowing life to be a mirror for what you need to work on within and allowing jujitsu, which is the perfect mirror, the perfect reflection of, it's just that vehicle that like offers you that reflection of like, this is the shit you need to work on in order to break through that next barrier. Yeah. You know, and that's, what's going to lead to your potential. So utilizing a holistic approach to optimizing performance, that's kind of what we do. It's, it's that inner work, but there's also the tangible things because it's both because we live in a world of duality, right? It's the inner, but then there also are practical things that, as I said, I work on mind, body, and spirit. So the body, you need to fuel your body right. You know, you need to balance it and manage the inflammation. Those are just practical things that are backed by research and science that need to happen for you to perform well. You're not going to perform well if your body's filled with lactic acid, right? That's the, the physical side of kind of optimizing performance, which I think most people focus solely on. But then there's the other side of optimizing performance, which is the spiritual, the emotional side. And that's where I'm really hoping to bring into the space with the work that I do, because that's what I notice in my own journey, what has had the deepest and most efficient, like kind of transformation and evolution. Because I've always focused on nutrition when I first started. Like I knew I was a dietitian, going to be a dietitian from a very young age. I always focused on nutrition and fitness, but I didn't really start making those leaps and bounds type of jumps and progress until I started working on the internal. And then that's when I was like, this is the missing piece that I'm here to do. How does awesome. one just start working on that like internal? If somebody's like listening to this, or like, well, what does that mean? Like what would be their first step? So that's a big, broad question. I guess in the context of Jiu-jitsu, I think the, the number one place to start is always self-observation. I think that's the biggest place to start. I think when we just au- operate in autopilot, we just go through the motions. I think it's really important to observe and be as present in your body. And I think that's the first place I would start is developing tools to be present in your body because the more present you are, the more aware you are of what you're doing, the thoughts that you're thinking, the actions that you're taking, and then you get to check everything against, is this aligned with the person I want to be? And like, also ask the question, why am I doing these things? You know, and just like, that's what opens up like the the doorway to healing and breaking through limiting barriers is always going to be curiosity. 
It's always entering everything from a lens of curiosity, not judgment. So always questioning everything. And that has been my superpower my entire life. I've, I've questioned everything, um, just authority. I've questioned questions, like everything. And I've always gotten a lot of shit for it because they just like, Natalie, why won't you stop asking questions? Like I was that kid that's like, why, 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 why? I just could not take anything for an answer. <laughs> but that Sounds was my, like my son. Maybe I need to do one-on-ones with you. <laughs> you can coach me here. <laughs> because it's, no, I, I absolutely love it. And it's like, good, you gotta ask questions. And so you need to ask questions about yourself. I think so often what we do is we just default to criticizing or judging ourselves. But when we judge and criticize ourselves, we're shutting ourselves down and we're causing our defenses to be more on alert. Like we're not going to, we're going to actually be unreceptive to change when we're criticizing ourselves. So if we want to grow, if we want to evolve, we need to create a safety in our system to explore that. And the only way to do that is not to go in with judgment, but to go in with curiosity. So the first step is to observe, observe what it is, just like the thoughts that you're having. And again, meeting every observation of the actions that you're taking, you know, being honest with like, are you binge eating? You know, being honest with like, are you every single day saying like, I'm a failure, you know, doing all of those things, observing, but from a place of just witnessing and not judging. That's really the first step because from that you're going to have awareness. And I say this all the time that awareness is the first step to change. So we cannot do anything moving forward without awareness. And the only way to cultivate awareness is to be self-aware. And the only way to be self-aware is to observe and to actually start integrating that awareness process of like being conscious and present in your own body like being aware of the actions you're taking and not being in that autopilot automatic zone where we're just living life in monotony and we're not really challenging ourselves with like our questions, our beliefs, our actions. We're just doing what we've always done because we've always done it. It might not be supporting you and, and holding you back. So if you want to get into the internal work, it's going to be self-observation to start. That's, That's awesome. great. There's Thank other you. stuff also that you add to your, um, to your work, like breath work, um, all this like healing that comes from it. Where did this passion came from? Like, like, how did you find yourself in that world? Yeah, yeah. So this was probably one of the strongest intuitive hits I've ever had in my life. And probably still nothing has ever topped it. Um, But basically, I went to a business event back in 2018. And they had a 20 minute breathwork session with Samantha Skelly, who was my breathwork mentor. And she just did 20 minute session and guided us through it. And I just felt on top of the world after. And I just remembered it leaving an impact and feeling amazing. Fast forward a year later, I just happened on Instagram. Like I followed her after the event because I was like really just moved by it. And she was opening up a breathwork facilitator beta program. So I took her very first program ever. She's had many iterations since. She's based in California. She might've moved, but she was originally in California for a long time. And I had no idea really what breathwork was. I didn't even research it when I got back or anything. I just kind of did the session and moved on. And I didn't know how to explain. I literally did not know how to explain it. So it really made, it sounded like a really stupid decision to invest (laughs) a lot of money to take this program when I couldn't even tell people what it was. I was like, I'm teaching people how to breathe. I've always been on the (laughs) like 
always finding tools to help my athletes. Like, how do I optimize performance? Like just, that was always kind of the underlying question of how do I optimize my performance? And I knew nutrition, I knew the fitness, like I have certifications and things. And I was like, this piece, like learning how to breathe, I understand the importance of that for combat athletes. So for me, it was very like surface level. It was very much like, oh, I'll learn, I'll teach people breathing techniques to learn how to regulate and breathe and awesome. Um, so for me, that's kind of why I'm doing it. So I did a very long, intensive 10-month program, had an immersion, immersion experience in San Diego for a week, and I just was completely transformed. And what I realized was, and this is something that I deeply, deeply believe in with the embodiment work that I do um, and just being a coach and, and everything, is that I was called to breath work because I the purpose I have now is, was always my purpose. However, you cannot help people. You can only help people to the level at which you've helped yourself. And mm -hmm. I also believe alongside that is that you can, you can only heal people and help people heal at the level at which you've healed yourself. So true. And all of a sudden I just got really emotional saying that <laughs> because that was such, <laughs> it was such a deep, profound realization I had in that immersion experience specifically in California because I was in a breathwork session and I just came to me I was like holy shit I'm not here for anyone else but myself and like it really didn't I didn't even know like the whole time I did the program like for me it was I was just straight up in my like teacher mode like these are what I'm learning for my kids my students and once I really was like working through things I was like holy shit I was called to this because I have lots of stuff I need to work through and heal. And there's no way that I can actually help people and serve people to the level that I want until I address it. And it was such an eye-opening moment. And I was like, oh, that was why I felt so called, so pulled. Like I put the money down and I don't even remember how much it was at that point, but I was just like, I'm doing this thing. I have no idea what it is. Like this is a big investment. My biggest investment I think I ever made um, I had made a business investment before that, but this was bigger than that. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I just feel like this is just something I cannot pass up. So mm -hmm. I just did it. Yes. And then once I got through that program, like midway through, I realized like, that's why it was so important because it was my next step in my evolution in order to step into what it is I wanted to step into as a service. Yeah. That's awesome. How does it feel like for you today being able to help so many other people through your work? Like being able to bring the breath work, being able to bring um, the dietitian part, all the little things that your business brings to people and like watching from outside them having all those realizations that you had once before when you were going through this process. I mean, it's indescribable. I've wake up every single day, just super blessed, super fulfilled. And I absolutely adore that I can really integrate everything I'm passionate about into what I do. Like, I just think, you know, I, like I said, I love optimizing performance, but I love that I get to bring like my dietitian self. And even though like I've evolved, like I stepped away from just doing nutrition stuff, because to me, like I said, it's, it's one piece, but it's not the most important piece. So for me, it's like, I'm here to do the deeper work, but 
it always has a place in my heart. Like I'm obsessed with health. I'm obsessed with nutrition. So like the fact that I can still integrate that and teach that the different ways that I do fitness will always have a place in my heart. It's where I started literally the journey, my health journey in my life in sixth grade started in fitness, like just understanding myself. And so like that'll always have a place and being able to teach kettlebell classes and, you know, teach all the different things that I do you know, that brings a joy. So the fact that like everything that I'm passionate about, I can bring into a business. I mean, I'm freaking stoked every single day. <laughs> and I will yeah. say that if there's ever anything that feels out of alignment or that just doesn't feel passionate anymore, I just say bye to it because I don't do anything I'm not passionate about. Yeah, because you awesome. can tell I'm a very expressive person and very passionate. So like when I'm not passionate about something, it is hard for me to fake it. I cannot fake passion. Like I cannot yeah. fake like, oh, like I am still interested in this. Like I've had many talks with my teams where we've restructured programs. We've created new programs, took away programs. Cause I'm like, I literally can't get behind this. Yeah. And if I can't get behind this as like the leader, like we need to figure out a way to bring it back into like my field of excitement so there might need to be like adjustments or changes we need to make, or we need to nix it all together. Or because it still serves a purpose, someone someone else needs to take the grunt of it and like do it where they're passionate about it. And I need to like move on to a different part where my passion really lies so that we can stay in alignment, but still serve in the ways that we do. That's beautiful. Yeah, like so a lot of the um, things that you offer are offered in your... Um, I forget the name, the blueprint that you, your, your training is the blueprint. And then do you also, um, you could talk a little bit about that, but the, uh, you do a lot of camps as well, right? So I host or one you're part annual of camp. camp. Yeah, mm -hmm. I do one annual camp. Um, we do, we would like to grow that. Um, again, I'm trying to find the balance of, I don't want it to be diluted because it's, it's a transformational experience. So mm -hmm. I just find that sometimes with like as bigger as they get, like 150, 200 people, I don't want to lose the intimacy. So I'm trying mm -hmm. to find a way to grow and expand my retreats where there can still be these levels of intimacy um, that foster the deeper transformation. It doesn't just dilute it to another jujitsu camp. Um, the other thing is that I have it in a nature setting for a reason so that it's like mm -hmm. the healing element, the environment and like, most of the time when you expand to those bigger places, it's going to be more hotel style. And again, that kind of takes away the intention and vision I have for it. So mm -hmm. it is a goal that I have to expand them. But right now they're like intimate 30 person retreats and it mm -hmm. feels really good for everything that I want to encompass. But that would be the goal just simply so that we can reach more people with the work that we do. Yeah. Um, so finding a way I've had considered uh, collabing with other people to do bigger conferences that can be like yeah. festival type things that integrate some of the other professionals that I've had on my podcast that I really love and just really mesh well with what I do and kind of collab in that way just to kind of open it up. Because um, the downfall to what I do with it so intimate is that it's just limiting the amount of people we can impact. Yeah. Like, so I want to, I want to impact more people quicker. And the only way to do that is to like expand things. Um, yeah. so just finding a way to find that balance between like what I want and what, you know, eventually we want to step into, but the retreats for sure. Um, and then 
we have the performance blueprint. We have the empowered athlete Academy, which is my trauma informed container for the breath work, the somatic healing that I put on pause for this year because I wanted to solely work in that space of somatic healing with one-on-one clients. I just felt called again. Like I said, I literally was running a promotion to fill up the program. And I was like, I feel like I'm in quicksand as much as I'm passionate about this work. I'm not feeling called to do this in a group setting right now. Like Mm -hmm. I really want to do one-on-one and go deep, deep, deep with just a couple people. And so I just said, screw it. I'm just going to cancel this mid promo and I'm just going to put it out there. And I like filled up my spaces in like three days and I like hardly, and I never promoted one-on-one before. (laughs) Like (laughs) I was just like, I want to do one-on-one and like, this is what we're doing. And so I feel so much more aligned, so happy that that's the kind of in that journey. So I do have one-on-one stuff. I do one-on-one in a lot of ways. I do one-off breathwork sessions. Like if you literally just want to get a breathwork session, um, I teach fitness class. Like if you just want like a kettlebell lesson, um, as well as a private lesson for jujitsu and judo. Um, so I just do a lot of those things too. And then we have a lot of self-paced programs and one of the things just to go in line with what we were saying, um, I ran like a macros program pretty consistently for many years and uh, this is the way I look at it is that people are going to be teaching macros on the internet because athletes and other people will be interested and want that information. So I feel that like, I haven't let it go because I feel that it's my duty as a dietitian, as a sports focused dietitian to make sure that people are learning it the correct way. And so for that reason, I don't want to let it go because I don't want them getting false information. I've seen people coach macros all wrong all the time. So I'm like, I still need to find a way to integrate this information in a way where it's not a big energy from me because I don't feel as passionate about actually Mm -hmm. teaching it. So that's why I created a self-paced program where I recorded everything up front, all the trainings so that people can do it in their own time for those interested, but I'm not energetically invested in it because I'm not passionate about just teaching people macros anymore. I'm like, there's so much more to this, but if you do want to learn how to do it, this is the program and has everything you need. And of course there's always an opportunity for them to like ask a question if they want, I'll answer it. But as far as like integrating coaching and live masterclasses, I ran like five times a year, things like that. I was like, I'm, that's not where I'm at right now. We're going so much deeper. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're just a constant evolve. (laughs) And it's, it's interesting to hear you talk because as you're evolving, you're still finding ways to put your efforts to the places you were and not just leave them behind. It's it's yeah. interesting. Like you really yeah, like, like know how time management, just, you know what I yeah. mean? And like you have these yeah. blocks of, t- of structure and time. Like it's, yeah. So the way me I think ba- of it, me and Babby, we need to learn that. <laughs> the way I think of it is energy management. It's really, I just yeah. ask the question, where do I want to place my energy? Yeah. And like I said, I don't do anything I'm not excited about. So as soon as I feel a lack of passion or excitement, I know that something about it needs to change. And at that point, it was all yeah. kind of like live programs and things like that. And so I was like, perfect. I don't I don't feel like I want to let it go because, like I said, like I have a deep why with it of like making sure people yeah. get the right information. So how can we integrate it in a way where I can get excited about it? 
it can still be the information that people get. And I can trust that people are getting the right information, but I'm also not expending my energy and can put my energy in a different bucket. And then it was perfect answer to me. It just came through. It said, make it a self-paced program. I was like, awesome. So this way we can still, and it's not like false. It doesn't feel inauthentic because I still stand behind everything that's in that program. But it's just that like, if you want to really work as a coach, I'm not going to be your macro coach. Like, and I'll be very, I'll just be very upfront and people message me all the time. Can you give me a customized nutrition plan? I'm like, if you want that, I teach you exactly how to curate that for yourself in mastering your macros, if you want that. But if you want to get on a call with me, I'm not like doing anything. I do offer like one-off kind of coaching calls if they just want to have an hour to like have done it themselves and then want to work through things just to clarify things, you know, things like that. But other than that, that was kind of how I navigated that. And I think it's just the question of where do you want to place your energy and what lights you up? And then you just, whatever combines both those questions is where you go. Yeah. What I if like, you I have way too many passions that you have? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my problem. I'm like, I don't know what to do anymore. I love way too many things that I want to do. And I just have 20, 24 hours. Yeah, so I what I like to do, because I'm also a very passionate person that way, I have lots of programs that completely are different, um, is what we do in kind of my business is we call like a parking lot project. And basically it's you brain dump all of the potential projects you want to do. No real timeline on them, but you're going to brain dump all the projects that you want to do. Like I'm in the process of writing a book. And it, that's a slower process because it's just a more methodical, thought out thing. Um, but it's a project I'm working on. You just list everything that you want. And then you can kind of check it against how you feel with like what feels the most alive in me right now. Like what feels the most alive in me right now? Do I feel really connected to this or this? And if that feels the most mm-hmm. alive, again, I always say follow what feels alive. So like if that is what you want to really feel like you can like get in a flow state with to like create, do that because you can still do all of the things, but I definitely don't recommend them doing them all at once. I would say pick one, bang it out, whatever it is, and then check. But like, I think it's important to have that brain dump so that you don't forget. Mm -hmm. And then you can also use that, you know, periodically every few months, every year when you do your yearly review, like do these projects still feel passionate to me? Like, or were they just like instant bursts of motivation, but like not motivation enough to like take action on it, but it was a cool idea. Does this idea still hold weight or Mm -hmm. is it just, was it just a fleeting excitement and like, I'm done with it. Like I'm not really connected to it anymore. And then just like, you know, readjusting accordingly. But I think that's a great way is kind of always filter, dump everything out, all of your ideas, and then just check what feels the most alive and then start taking action on that. That's you awesome. live your your personal life. Well, I guess your personal and business life is kind of the same because you're an entrepreneur. But as you're talking, I'm like, I know all these skills. I do this in my corporate world. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is exactly what we do. We dump say all of our ideas into Jira and we have all these tickets, you know, and then once we prioritize and figure out what the goal is for the year, then we move on to the next, you know. So as you're talking, I'm like, I why don't I do this in my personal life? (laughs) You know, I do it every day at work. It's yeah. How funny. 
That's crazy. Sometimes you need somebody just to snap you out of it. And I know. I know. Into a different perspective. Well, I think that's I do be- the benefit oh. of having a business is like the business is an extension of kind of myself. So yeah. being an entrepreneur is a little different than working with, you know, another place or working for someone um, in the sense there there is more of that work personal life separation whereas like my mm-hmm. mind is kind of integrated so it makes sense that like developing those skills perfectly yeah. goes hand in hand with my business but 100 i would say no matter where you're whatever you're working like if you can integrate that in your personal life there's no reason not to like yeah, yeah. no i believe structure I have- freedom <laughs> It it's true. It's true. Less is more, right? Always in structure. Um, I wanted to tap in before we like uh, jump into something else. Um, or Babby asked another question. Um, in the sense of everything that you do, how how did you stumble across judo, and how how do you find time for that? I mean, you have your own business. You have jujitsu. You compete. Um, like I really. It's something that when I was researching you, I was like, how does she have time to do judo too? <laughs> uh, because that's pretty, it's crazy cool. Um, jiu-jitsu is a, amazing, but I can see how that would be extremely beneficial um, to the sport of jiu-jitsu of having that other yeah. skill set of like takedowns. So I was just really lucky. And my husband, who is my coach and who has always been my coach, he is a six degree black belt in judo. And he does jujitsu, mm. so he's always integrated ju- judo into the jujitsu curriculum. So that is how I started ju- judo, and I started judo at the same time. Essentially, I started jujitsu, maybe mm. like a couple months later. But he integrated classes, and then when I got higher, high enough ranked, I started teaching judo classes there. But that's basically where I learned it from is my husband, and then I just started competing back in probably 2018. And just got some experience there, but it's always been a part of my journey because it was just simply integrated into my curriculum. So some days yeah. we would have judo weeks and focus on that. We would integrate judo in our competition classes. So it was integrated my whole life. So, or my whole journey in jujitsu. Yeah. So I was just really lucky in that way where I didn't necessarily have to seek out an additional class. That's but what I would rad. say is that if that's a goal that you have, balance it accordingly. And like, you don't have to go to jujitsu <laughs> Like, you don't have to go to jujitsu six times a week to get better. Like, I've proven yeah. it to myself a billion times that I have gone out and killed in competition training three days a week and completely had flawless performances. Like, and it, it's always a reassurance. It's always, like, more information I put back in my bucket of, like, see, you don't have to overtrain. See, you don't have to train six times a week. It's about intention. It's about purposeful training. It's about being present and really focused when you're there. And that is is what's going to reap better benefits than just being there, like you said, not present for six days of the week because you're burnt out and you're just Mm -hmm. going for the sake of going there, but you're not getting quality actual training. And so, again, less is more. And doing less with better intention is like my life mantra. And so with judo, if that is a goal that you want to integrate, then maybe pick something that is more doable, that's consistent. Obviously, one day a week of jiu-jitsu isn't enough. I think a sweet spot is three. So say three times a week for jiu-jitsu and then pick one or two days for judo. Boom. Now you have a schedule. But it's not going to work if you do six days of jiu-jitsu and try to squeeze in 
two days of judo because now you're going to overextend. You also have kids. You also have a job. Everything else is going to fall in the back burner in your personal life, right? So this is why I like focus on that holistic approach of looking at everything that we're doing mm-hmm. and like, okay, now what are your goals? And then where do we need to make adjustments to make sure everything fits in a way that doesn't sacrifice your well-being? Yeah. Natty, you are like here yeah. and I'm like here. <laughs> <laughs> I need to breathe, I think. I think I need to breathe more in life. <laughs> one day, one day. I need we'll to have to invite Natty to move in with you and like I know. whole life. I know. I think so. I was like, girl, just wrap this up. I don't know. Something needs to happen. <laughs> yeah. No, that's amazing though. I that's uh I don't know. I think I mean, that's just beautiful. It's taken a lot of inner work to get there though. It's taken a lot yeah. of inner work to just to be able to be like, no, to class tonight because I want to do something else. Yeah. Like I used to be That's really much like part. all like, yeah, it's hard for people. It's not easy. I know it make it sound easy, but it's because I did a lot of the hard work to get to a yeah. place where now it's easy to do those decisions because I don't feel like I'm, you know, missing out or that I'm, you know, falling behind. I'm just like, no, I have other goals. And so I need to find a way to integrate all the goals in a way that like prioritizes myself and my health and my well-being. And so I just do that accordingly and I do it in a weekly basis, like just kind of check in when I'm scheduling for the week of like, you know, again, it depends. Am I competing? Like if I have a com- competition, then okay, jujitsu is going to take more of the forefront because I'm preparing for something. If I don't have a competition, okay, so some of my other passions are going to be more involved and I'll just do my bare minimum. I have a minimum of viability for everything, which means that what is the bare minimum that I am deciding to commit to, to ensure that I'm still showing up for myself, but in a way where it's like a little bit of discipline, but not in a way that's like everything needs to be managed. So for instance, nutrition, um, if I, if I apply that to nutrition, like a minimum viability for me is if I just get five veggies of five servings of veggies a day, great. I showed up for nutrition. You know, yeah. like for me, that's what it is. Or if I track my protein and I'll change the goals different weeks and things like that. But it's like not tracking everything or making sure everything's perfect on days where it can be awesome. And I applaud myself and I'm like, this is amazing. It was perfect. Everything went perfect. But then I just also give myself that grace to have a minimum viability because I also know life happens and we can't yeah. control everything. And that was the biggest thing I learned in life growing was that I don't have control of most things. And so with me trying to control everything, it led me to lots of disappointment, lots of frustration, lots of stress. I'm like, why is nothing ever working out? And I was like, oh, it's because I'm trying to control everything that's not in my control. (laughs) And that just doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Nettie, how do you see yourself in the next like five years? um, And what kind of legacy you want to leave behind with the work that you do today? Oh, my goodness. It's crazy because in one year, like so much shit happens. So like, I mean, I I'm like, oh my god. I mean, five okay, years- we can we can go we can go down to one year. Like, how do you see yourself in twenty twenty five? No, no, for sure. I mean, definitely have my book. Um, my goal there is, like I said earlier, how can I reach more people? Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. for me, it's an upfront energetic investment because I'm writing the book, but it's going to have a return. And then once I write it, it's not going to be you know a lot of energy expenditure but it's going to be able to impact hopefully hundreds of thousands of people who read the book. So that kind of is serves my mission of reaching hundreds of thousands of people doing the work that I do. Um, 100% my book, my goal 
is to be a five-time jiu-jitsu world champion. I don't care what that looks like. I don't care if it's gi. I don't care if it's no gi. I don't care if it's masters. I don't care if it's adults. But I want to and will become a five-time world champion. Um, whether it's within these next five years, I don't know. But it's it's going to happen and it's going to be there. And I wanted to do it at Black Belt. So after my last kid, which will be this April, you know, that'll be kind of the starting point of working on that. But working towards that for sure. Um and then congratulations. Yes, by the <laughs> Thank way. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, for being a world champion in advance. <laughs> <laughs> On your no, baby. You said your baby. You said <laughs> that in April. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm six and a half months pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean on being a world champion too. Congratulations in advance. Yes. Just in case. Exactly. Um, and of course, really um just continuing to integrate everything that I do and just become deeper in the work that I do. Um, definitely want to get deeper somatic training to integrate that. I think the biggest thing business-wise as far as in five years is I really want to become the the Tony Robbins of like this sport, like in the sense of like, I want conferences. I want like big events that like are filled to the brim of athletes who are like really wanting this as a way of being, you know, I know I'm working and fighting against a lot because there's a lot of old school mentality, you know, of just like the grind, the hustle, the Brazilian, you know, mentality with jujitsu. So I'm working against a lot. And I have been since I started this. Um, but I just believe in the work that I'm doing so much. And I'm seeing the need for it more and more every day with just the messages I receive, um, you know, certain reels that I've created that have gone viral that are around trauma, you know, like the fact that people are sharing and seeing and commenting. I'm like, people want this. People need this. And somewhere along the line in the next five years, we're going to just grow and grow and grow and keep expanding, keep expanding to make sure that this becomes the new norm and the new um, paradigm of how to approach high performance in the sport. That's awesome. We yeah. wanted just to ask you one last question. Um, we always talk about how jujitsu changed our lives. You said in the beginning that it changed your life completely. Um, I think it happens to a lot of us. It changed my life completely. And even if it doesn't change you completely, it's going to change some things for you, right? Like, what does this BJJ hood means for you? So for me, I think it goes in hand with everything that we kind of talked about. But for me, it's it's just a vehicle for personal development and growth. And so that's really what it means to me. It's, it's constantly a way for me to grow and evolve. And that's just how I see jujitsu. And... That's really what it means to me is just like not it's more than I actually wrote a post on this the other day where it's like it's more than just a sport. And the more I'm in jujitsu, I realize that like it, the sport aspect is so small, like it's more of a philosophy, a lifestyle. And for me, mm -hmm. like what it has been for me my entire life has just been a constant, like I said, mirror earlier of like what I can grow on and evolve as a human being on a spiritual level. And so that's really what it means to me. And every day I step on the mat, that's the questions I ask myself. It's like, where am I growing? You know, I notice where do I 
I notice any triggers that come up. I notice this and I'm just like, what does this mean? Why am I feeling this way? You know, this, that, the other. And it's just, and I think that's why I'm obsessed with it. That's why I show up just because I'm just like, I, like I said, have such an insatiable curiosity. So everything just, I'm like, I want to just more, more, more. And because jujitsu is ever evolving, it's like, you're never going to get to the end. So I'm just like, well, I just got to keep showing up because it's just more every single day. And it's just showing me every yeah. single day, a different layer, a deeper layer. And it's like, I'm just going to be in it until I got my red belt, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Nadi, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, to share a little bit about your work, a little bit about your personal life too, and all this, um, the the things that you have been working on and like sharing with other people. It was awesome to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. So educational. Thank I loved you. it. Yeah. <laughs> we could have talked. A- I could have talked to you for another hour. But <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's what, I was, yeah, I was thinking about it as we were going and I'm like, we will have to finish at some point because it was getting close to one hour. And that's like how I want to, like how far I wanted to go. Yeah. But we can definitely have a part two of Natty here because yeah. I think we have a lot to talk about. And, so um, You're just so dynamic. There's so yes. many layers to you that you could peel back. Um, yeah. So yeah, we would love to have you back. That yeah, would be I would amazing. Love to. I'm open to any conversation all the time. So I That's really awesome. appreciate you guys having me on here. Thank you listeners for tuning in and I'll see you when I see you. I mean, I guess they will also post maybe uh, the, if you want to connect with me, Instagram is the best yes. way. So we could just in the information, I'll make sure that they have information there and feel free to shoot me a message if you want to just chat. Yes. And Addie also has her own podcast. So make sure you check that out too. It's all on her profile on Instagram. So following her there, you're going to have access to all of those things. Make sure you share this episode with a friend. I'm sure anybody can learn a little bit of something here today. It was a really, really insightful, inspiring conversation. So make sure you share with your friends. Um, And if you don't follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and on your favorite podcast platform yet, make sure you go there and follow us so you don't miss any of the new episodes. Again, we have new episodes every Thursday. So I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Would you like to share your story? Email us at bjjhoodpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at bjjhoodpodcast.